Frederick Matthias Alexander was born in 1869 in Australia. He became an actor who absolutely loved doing Shakespeare, but he lost his voice. When doctors couldn't help him, he decided to take a few years and figure it out himself. His work has become known the world over as the Alexander Technique, and today I will speak with an expert on it, Peter Jacobson. Join me for the interview right now. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. Okay, so welcome everybody to All Things Vocal, the vlog, the podcast, and today we're going to be videoed as well, so we'll have a video version too. And I am thrilled to have for today's episode as my guest, a master teacher in the Alexander Technique. So before we get started, let me tell you who Peter Jacobson is. He is the founder and executive director of Total Vocal Freedom, the world's largest online Alexander Technique learning community. He is a singer himself. I love learning from teachers who actually sing. Multi-instrumentalist, a composer, an arranger, conductor, music educator, and an AMSAT certified, AMSAT means American Society of the Alexander Technique, uh, teacher. He's earned advanced degrees in conducting from the University of Illinois, the Peabody Institute of the John Hopkins University, and Peter is a certified transformative coach, which is Michael Neal's uh, Super Coach Academy Europe, a class of 2019. So he is not only good at what he does, but he is, like me, is ever exploring more ways to teach effectively. So, Peter, welcome to All Things Vocal. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Judy, for having me. It's my pleasure to be with you today. Let's start out with Alexander Technique can be defined in different ways. I've been interested in, like I say, for a long time, and I've actually double-teamed students that were particularly tight with someone who was an Alexander Technique teacher here named Ethan Kind. And he taught me things like, instead of manually moving people, (laughs) suggest that they move themselves and things like that. So I know about him and I know about Ron Murdoch and have really enjoyed some things that uh, I found online I can't find anymore. He had an incredible anatomy diagram that I used to use a lot with showing people how holding themselves up suspends the diaphragm and the larynx. But from taking your course called Total Vocal Freedom Foundations, I noticed that you have your own unique way of defining Alexander Technique. So let me have you speak to that. I would love to. Um, Like you mentioned, I've been interested in this work for many, many years. And in particular, I, I discovered it for my music making. So I've always been interested in how to integrate this work into making music. I'll tell you a little story. When I was doing my Alexander training at the end, I had to do an independent study project. And my topic was defining the Alexander technique. And uh, looking back on it, it was kind of a, I don't know, an exercise in frustration because I would open one door and find another, you know, one definition and then another one to present itself. And I eventually realized that every teacher has their own approach and their own definition of this work. And so, I like to think that in a way that we all sort of teach our own version of, of Alexander's discoveries. And I use that, that terminology very particularly because 
we're dealing not so much with a technique um, like we would think of a vocal technique. I like to think of more of principles and discoveries. And in fact, Alexander didn't even want to call it the Alexander technique. He just called it the work. And it was, it was named the Alexander technique, I believe, after his death. So we call it the TVF Alexander work. There's a lot of different ways to name it. But our, our particular approach is we're very interested in taking what Alexander discovered among other things, we draw from other sources too, and applying them directly to the activity of singing because the students we work with, that's what they really care about. How can I be more free in my body? How can I sing better? And so that's what we kind of specialize in doing. And we do that in a variety of different ways. As you mentioned, we have an online school, we do live workshops. We just finished a week-long retreat in Wisconsin with 50 singers. And it's just a delight. And I think Alexander's discoveries and singing or using your voice are the perfect match because Alexander himself had a passion to use his voice, but he also had a problem using his voice. Right. And he would lose his voice. So the discoveries that he made about the voice and how it's connected to our whole system, I think are, tr are truly groundbreaking. And it's fascinating to me that this works over a hundred years old and it's been around for a long time. In the UK, it's quite known, but here in the States, it's not so known. But I just believe this work can benefit everybody. Let's talk about your teaching method, that sort of the three-part formula for artistry. I came upon, when I began teaching 20 years ago, like a triad of, of techniques that are synergistic, and they have to do with the breath, the open throat, and factors of communication, which, oh my gosh, is so parallel to some of the things you talk about with intention. But anyway, back to your three-way formula for artistry, desire, coordination, and technique. Yes. I'm so glad you bring this up because this is one of the first things that I want to communicate to people about this work in terms of creating the context where it sits in the person's training and how they can use it. Like I said, the word technique is very confusing to people because I've had people, you know, on these uh, social media forums and things like that say, Alexander technique is not a vocal technique. It's like, no, it's not. We don't claim to be a vocal technique. But so the technique is a very confusing word. So I think it's good to, to identify where does the work situate and what is the relationship between what we do and a vocal technique. So I've come up with this, what I call the three-part formula for artistic excellence. And I think it really kind of covers the main three things that any performing artist deals with. Mm -hmm. So like you said, it's desire plus coordination plus technique. And the, the best way I can describe this, and I think in a way that modern people can understand, is a computer. Mm -hmm. So a computer basically needs three things. It needs a power source. It needs hardware and it needs software. Now in, in vocal technique, we're dealing a lot with the software. And I would also include in technique our musicianship and our ability to, the, the skills we have as performers, standing in front of an audience and communicating. Mm -hmm. Although I'm more and more seeing that that ties to the first one, which is our desire to communicate something. Right. And Alexander, you know, a lot of people say, well, the story of Alexander is a man who had a problem. I disagree, actually. I think it's a story of a man with a passion and a deep desire. And if you read his story, one of the first lines he says, from childhood on, I had this deep desire and deep love of Shakespeare. 
That's what drove him. He didn't care so much to solve his problem. He cared more so to solve his problem so he could do his passion. Right? So that's the the power source. What's driving you? What is your desire? What is your intention to communicate musical thoughts and ideas to a listener? That's essential. In my musical training, I don't know about you, Judy, but that was often not even discussed. Absolutely. Listen, part of my, my job security is people coming in here not knowing what they're supposed to be doing with this, literally not knowing what it's for. They think it's for winning a Grammy or getting a record deal or getting applause. And it's when I focus them into, no, it's actually for delivering a message to a specific heart that gets a specific response. And then everything changes. It's acting technique. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's what we do all day long. If we're having a conversation, I'm trying to communicate something to, to you, you're communicating to me. We just do this naturally as human beings. But then somehow when we go to make music, we just lose sight of the naturalness we have during our, our everyday lives. So that's kind of the first piece is the desire. And so the first thing I'm always coming back to with students is what are you trying to do? What's your desire? What do you want from this? And that is what's driving everything. We, we say in TVF, desire drives excellence. Mm-hmm. You know, without desire, you're not going to go really anywhere. Or you're going to go somewhere and it's going to be for the wrong reasons. And you're going to become really self-conscious and then you're going to become really tight. <laughs> right, right. And when the desire is just to be perfect, that is the sabotaging thought. Um, I get lots of desperate questions on all things vocal and in my office about singers and speakers begging for instant help to overcome laryngitis for an upcoming performance like that night or that weekend. I find that the first thing that I have to help them do is stop being afraid and like go, what, what would happen to you if you canceled? Would you die? You know, and allow themselves the freedom to relax and open up and get them trusting me. Then they can relax their frozen mental and physical conditions and let flexibility begin the process of getting their voices back. And instead of fear-based desperation, please explain your approach to noticing, exploring, and experimenting without passing judgment. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, this is such a juicy topic. Um, (laughs) There was a word that you used in there, and I'm going to hook into that because I think it was so great. And the word was freedom. And there's a fundamental idea in Alexander's work, which we call freedom of choice. Yeah. And this is a gift that a lot of people do not ever give themselves. And like you said, it's that moment where I can choose to do this or not to do this. I am free to choose. And in a way, you're giving yourself the freedom to do what you want to do. Even like if you're about to go on stage, asking the question, do I deeply want to do this? One of my teachers said, when no is an option, yes means a whole lot more. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) And so it's like, oh, I could absolutely walk off stage and not do this performance. And there would be consequences. I might not get paid. I might not get asked back. But still, I have that choice within me. So that's one of the fundamental places that we start with. And that I think that connects to our desire that we have a, a deep desire to do this. You know, it's, it's interesting you said about someone that comes to you with uh, laryngitis or they have issues with their voice and they're looking for maybe a, a quick fix or something. And I love what you said about giving them hope. I also think Alexander's story is very instructive because that's what was happening to him. And what happened was 
he went to a doctor and, and the doctor said, well, why don't you take a couple weeks off before your next big gig? So he did. And about halfway through the performance, he, he lost his voice. And he went back to the doctor and he said, well, doc, I did what you said. <laughs> what's up? <laughs> and uh, then he said, you know, can you tell me what's going on? And the doc said, I can't. And Alexander said, well, I am going to figure this out myself. And then he went and for several years, he just did all of these experiments on himself. And he discovered he was doing these things to himself, to his body, to his system that were not helpful and were actually the cause. But this took many years. And when people come to me for a quick fix, I don't really deal in quick fixes. Now, students, they may have an immediate result, but learning this work for me is a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I want to plant these seeds of, you know, like you said, exp- experimentation, curiosity, exploration. These are what lead us to what we truly want. And sometimes when we make a mistake, that's even more instructive than when we get it perfect because maybe we don't know how to do it on purpose to do it better. And so the mistake, when we become observant with it and don't judge it, don't beat it up, it's like, thank you for showing me that. (laughs) We can actually thank our mistakes. Uh, So it's weird. And what I find is, yeah, there can be instant fixes. I, you know, do it every, every lesson by just changing somebody's posture, changing where they, they feel like they're coming from, where their power center is, changing uh, what they're thinking that they're doing, changing their desire and stuff like that. And what's cool is they are instant fixes, but what my next question for them is usually, okay, are you curious now? And then I can teach them things that they can practice because they may not, a frustration is that they may go home and not be able to repeat that. So I need to give them something to, to think about or something to practice so they can kind of embody that and discover it for themselves inside. So it is a process. So it's both instant and it's lifelong, like you're saying. The way that we describe this, you know, that I talked about that middle piece of coordination, desire coordination technique. Uh-huh. Um, the coordination is really what you might call cooperating with our design. Mm-hmm. So when people when people cooperate with their design often like you said it's instant if they have a habit of pushing back on themselves and i show them actually will you balance in your center and instantly their sound will change but like you said i want to point them towards the thinking and the process which got them there not just do this do that it's we're looking for what is the most natural thing in our body and how does our our system work and cooperating with that, and that's what leads us to the freedom we're looking for. Right. The reason I know the things that I do, or learned the things that I have vocally, partly, is because I lost an octave and a half of my range uh, due to an endotracheal tube in three months in the hospital when my son was born. So I had to either, it's like either stop singing or dig in. And I didn't have the money to actually go and get professional help. So what I did was I dug into and I I brought out my classical songs of of all things that I'd learned for one year in college. I had 21 uh, Italian songs. I'd learned a few of them. And I started experimenting in my head voice. Two years later, I physically healed and was on my way vocally, but we moved from Memphis to Nashville and I got thrust right in the middle of incredibly competitive studio work because I was doing background sessions, session work back in the days when every record had that. So what happened was I had to get her done. 
And so tension was like just trying to like crazy to make my voice do the right thing, you know, so nobody would know that my voice was sick or had been sick. So I went to the greatest professional coach here, Gerald Arthur, who has passed away. But the first thing he told me was, you've got to stop guarding. And so, you know, to me, what you do, and it helps me with my students, is help people let go and start experimenting in it. Another thing about your way of training is <laughs> I found it slow. You made me slow down. And I'm that, not by nature. I'm a bumblebee. Yoga, oh my God, I never wanted to do yoga until somebody sort of made me do it because I needed to build some bone. And I found out it's a lot harder in the first place than you'd think to get slow. But it's, you have to get slow to be able to observe what's going on. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about, I find that students, actually after I change something instantly and help them instantly feel better and get them curious, the next thing I find helpful is to teach them some anatomy. Like instead of just tell them what to do, teach them about why that's better, why they might want to do that. And your course taught me even more I'm really interested in how things work. Even though my students might not need to know exactly, you know, as much as I do about it, it helps me observe and become a better teacher. But I do think that even with any student, they need to know a little bit more about their bodies and, like you say, how their bodies function. So talk about the need to kind of balance imagery, like the rod between your, your ears, you know, you nod over, and anatomy and how they kind of go together when you're teaching. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll preface all this by saying that it's remarkable to me to reflect on the fact that human beings, all of us, there are no exceptions. We live in what is probably the most sophisticated and complex living organism that's ever lived on the face of the earth. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And the things we can do with our system, the things we can do with our mind, and the things we can do with our voice, the sounds we can make are just far and beyond any other creature, although I love all creatures of the earth. But um, what, what we have and what we inhabit is truly remarkable. And so I like to point people to that because they often think that they're broken, that there's something wrong with them. But no, we all have this system and it's working for you. And there's incredible kindness in the design of how you're made. So one of the things we do is uh, anatomy. We, we do a specific thing called body mapping, which was developed by a, a woman. Barbara Conable and her husband, Dale, and uh, I believe that's his name. Sorry if it's not, but you can look it up. And they found that people would come to them with a, an innocent misunderstanding of how their body worked. And so they would help update their map and show them, no, actually the arm joint is attached here in the center, not at the shoulder and things like that. And they found when people sort of updated their idea of how the body worked, that they moved much freer. So but the starting point for me is always the actual truth of the design, because we, we have this amazing ability to use our imagination, but we, we can also make up a lot of fairy tales about the body and, and where things are and how they work. A lot of singers, for example, as you know, they have the lungs mapped way down in their belly where there's no lung tissue and, you know, and so... And God help them try to figure out where the diaphragm is. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> it can get a little messy down there, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so just pointing people to the truth. Now, that being said, 
I've found that having some imagery tools in my toolbox can be extremely effective. For example, one I like to use, a lot of people, they are, they're, they're pushing their shoulder or their arm structure down into their torso. So I'll teach them, well, you have this, this space here and I'll have them imagine a hot air balloon under each shoulder, just sort of kind of r- gently rising, which can help this whole arm structure be suspended, which is what it's naturally designed to do. So yeah. just simple things like that, I, I think can be helpful. But for me, the starting point is always, what is the actual truth of the design? And then if that's not helpful to the student, let's explore some imagery. Yeah. And I use imagery a lot, but I'm also very cognizant that people can misinterpret it. And that's what the part of the process is fixing something they're thinking too far or they're taking too far. Like pulling can become instead of just simple. So I use Space Invader coming at you with bad breath. <laughs> and that, that generally makes the move a little bit more natural. But yeah, basing it on voice science and on anatomical science and knowing enough, you know, we don't have to know about every little bell and whistle, but uh, knowing enough. And, and I, I really enjoyed what I learned in that in the course. Okay, so let's talk about now. And this, this kind of blew my mind. This, I never had thought about this. But talk about the importance of thinking versus feeling as we train our voices to new levels. Ooh, this is a juicy one. <laughs> well, this is kind of a learning edge for me. I'm still kind of, you know, dancing in this playground myself and trying to make new discoveries. One of the fascinating things about how we're designed is we essentially have two nervous systems. We have what's called the motor control system, and that is when we have an idea of wanting to do something in the the motherboard up here sends a signal to the part of our body that says move. And the signals, the way the system is designed is what we call yes, go signals. Okay. So yes, go versus no stop. You know, if you ever have driven down a long stretch of a road and you just hit every red light, well, that's kind of what it's like to use what we call non-constructive language. Like don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's not how the system works, okay? So we have the motor control system, but then we also have the sensory system, which is sending information from our periphery, our parts, to the motherboard where it's being processed. Now, what's interesting, if you ever touched a hot stove, that sensation you get is it, there's a slight delay. Now, it's so small that you don't really sense it, but a feeling is a report of the past, okay? I, I, th- I think of it like when you're driving, it's in something in the rear view mirror. But a lot of people in trying to achieve something through an activity, they're using their feeling as a guide, which is like trying to drive like that, looking backwards. Wow. Yeah. So what actually is guiding us forward is our thinking. Our thinking in the moment is our best guide. Now we're going to get feeling information because that's how we're designed. But the emphasis in the Alexander technique is not on feeling because A, feeling is a report of the past. And I like to say that feelings sometimes show up to work and sometimes they don't. You know, every day they're different. They're fickle, right? They're not the best employees. And they're also comparative. So I don't know if you've ever done this. You're baking something in your kitchen and you go outside and you come back in and you get a, a sense because it's comparative. They're always comparing what's just happened to what's happening. So feelings are wonderful. We wouldn't be alive without them. And in terms of using the Alexander technique in an activity, 
they're not the most effective guide for us. Instead, we use what we call constructive thinking. And that is just talking to ourselves in a way of what do I want and what am I inviting or invoking in my system? Mm -hmm. Boy, that has to do with healing in a lot of areas, doesn't it? I used to do some volunteer work in a prison called Better Decisions. The first step uh, dealt with uh, know the situation, which was separate the facts from the feelings. Exactly. I love your classes on joint movement. A great classical teacher, I've been trading lessons with him. His name is Mark Tress here in Nashville. And I decided I wanted to take more classical voice lessons because I'm interested in it. And it saved my life back when, and it just feels good. The vibrations feel good. And he needed to take some contemporary voice uh, lessons to learn, you know, to teach that better. So we got together and trade lessons and trade information. It's been fascinating. One of his teachers is someone I learned to highly respect from reading the Nats Journal named Dr. Scott McCoy. And he said Dr. McCoy would put him on a BOSU ball and have him sing on a BOSU ball, which you can't just stand on it. (laughs) You have to move. And so I didn't have one, but I had a trampoline. So he had me press into the trampoline with my feet like that. Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh, I didn't, I, I mean, I know better. I couldn't believe how I was holding my breath and holding myself and not move. But that release of the joints released some tension that I had that I was bringing to the classical exercise. Does that sound like the same sort of thing that, that you apply? Yeah, I think it's similar. And we do several things just to, to remind people of how they're built, how they're made. Um, I'll point to one particular joint that I find is fascinating, and that's the the hip joint, the ball and socket joint. So it's essentially, um, you know, a catcher's glove and a and a baseball. That's kind of the design, and and so we have all of these availabilities of movement within that joint. Now a lot of people conceive of it as just a hinge that they can only really do this. So again, it goes back to people's conception, and one of the ways you can change conception is changing people's perception. So like you said, having them sit on a, a ball, um, I'll show you one of the tools. Actually, I've been using it while, um, while talking to you. It's called uh, a balance pad and it's by Eric's. And I'll often, I'll do it myself and have singers stand on it because what it teaches you is that there's always consistent and constant movement happening in your system. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Always. You're never, yeah. you're never fixed. You're never still. I like to say that there can be stillness in the movement and movement in the stillness. So even though I'm just standing here relatively still, there's so much movement. I I think of it like, I like to think of electricity in my joints that at any moment I could go anywhere instead of being fixed in one position. Right. And and I would imagine from my experience, choir singers have the most trouble with that or people that are doing formal singing because they're supposed to be still the smarter choir directors the more beautiful choirs i've heard you can see them moving a little bit and i use andre bocelli for an example like you know you think he's just standing there no look at him really close he's moving you can even see his eye sockets moving the tissue around his eye sockets moving singing is about life you have to be alive and alive is always moving let's go on to talking about hands I love the way you talk about the voice being uh, helped by uh, a kind of a community. And I find community so important. Without community, who are we singing to anyway? There's got to be somebody else, even if it's schizophrenically ourselves. (laughs) 
And you mentioned something, I love this, about community being like extra Alexander Technique hands. Without using my hands, I can't sing. And I'm not even Italian. Talk about Alexander Technique hands, which in your case, I think would mean the teacher's hands. Yeah. I love this topic. And again, this is, this is ever evolving for me, my understanding of, we call it touch communication. And Alexander himself developed this. And I think it's, it's an incredible way of communicating information from human to human. What happened was he made these discoveries on his own without the touch of another teacher. And I, I really like to point people to that because a lot of people equate Alexander with only hands-on, like if there's no hands-on, there's no Alexander learning happening. But he figured everything out himself without the help of a teacher, just using his thinking and his process. But when he went to teach, he found that words can be tricky. And when he would guide someone verbally, that they might misunderstand it. And so as far as I understand, it was almost out of frustration that he, he said, no, like this, move <laughs> up like this. And then he started wow. using his hands. But there have been many teachers throughout the years, including um, Alexander's brother, who didn't use hands much at all and got, and got very effective results. The way I like to think of hands recently is very informed by one of my favorite teachers, Kathy Madden. She's a master teacher of this work. And she says, Alexander teachers' hands are there to help the students stay as a yes to the new idea just a little bit longer than they might themselves. Hold on to it just a little bit longer. Like, I'm just going to, my hands are just going to help you stay with that upward motion that your body naturally wants to do so you don't go back into your habit of pulling back and down. Yeah. That's how I've been using my hands. Now, the relationship to community is that it's easy for us to go back into old habits. And a community can help us stay as a yes to the new idea longer than we might normally ourselves. That's the power, I think, of communities. They help us realize our true self, our true potential, so we don't go back into those familiar ways of doing things. I've had students, they would instantly get something and feel better, but then they wouldn't trust themselves to hold on to it. So I think some things that I've learned from you would help me with those students. Okay, let's talk about difficulty. What is the most difficult issue that you've ever seen so far that you've had to work with? And uh, what did you find that helped? So I have not worked with students that have come in with, you know, major serious vocal issues. I can't think of a specific instant like this was the most difficult or challenging voice issue that I've ever encountered. If someone did come to me and there was some, you know, obviously major concerns with their voice, I would be more comfortable guiding them to a voice professional. Yeah. And they come in and they don't have the range that they want or they're tight on certain notes. Okay. Well, there's probably not a pathology or something going on, but they are just interfering with their, the natural design of their system. Mm -hmm. So the cool thing I think about what Alexander discovered is that he indirectly solved his vocal problem. He didn't go in there and start to mess with his larynx and all of this, this stuff. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I, I think technique is absolutely essential and we need to learn how to do, we need vocal skills. But what he discovered was that it was his habit ultimately of pulling his head back and down, gasping for air, depressing his larynx and grabbing the floor with his feet. Uh -huh. That was the problem. Now he, he found that 
he didn't have a lot of control over his feet or his larynx or his breathing so much, but he did have control over this primary relationship of the head and the spine. And that as he invited his head to move and his whole body to follow, that the breathing took care of itself, his feet relaxed, and his breathing improved, and his voice problem went away. Yeah. I love what you said about happy feet, happy voice. I used to love to sing barefoot. And I mean, every chance I get, I'd take my shoes off when I would sing. And I never knew why, but now I feel actually pretty good about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, leading with the head, that's too cool. Uh, well, I have worked with this serious vocal damage, like inoperable polyps and things like that. But what we do to get the pressure off and get the musculature, you know, the, the instrument working more efficiently, and coordinating it with itself and with the rest of our bodies, the body heals itself. Inoperable polyps have disappeared. A spasmodic dysphonia, at least momentarily, the symptoms have gone away. Uh, paralysis as well. So Alexander Technique, that's why I'm so interested in it, because it is a method of taking that tension out and letting the instrument sort of reset itself. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I, I think of the work that we do in TVF as a subtraction technique, not an addition technique. We are removing interfering factors so that nature can have its way with us. Yeah. <laughs> and that's nature. We are nature is so much smarter than we are. <laughs> there's, a, there's a book out there that's, that says your brain is an idiot, but nature is infinitely genius. And so if we can just, like you said, harness the innate intelligence that we all have in our system are going to be a whole lot better off. Yeah. Well, Peter, I have so many ways to give you feedback on your course that I took that uh, edify your course and in the way that it magnifies what I can do. We don't have time for me to go into it all, but what I will tell any teacher out there is that they should look you up and look your courses up. And I encourage people to take some Alexander Technique training and yours is, is exceptional. So uh, light bulbs were going off the whole time. And at first I was thinking it was going to be so slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. And I want to acknowledge the TVF faculty who co-taught that course with me, Michael Hanko, Eleni Vazniadu, Molly Kittle, and Darcy Balcom. Uh, they're just incredible people to work with and to learn from. And I want to offer to you, we'll, we'll create a special deal for your listeners and your watchers. We'll create a link that says totalvocalfreedom.com forward slash ATV, and then it will guide them to a special offer. Great. Thank you very much. And where can we find you in general? Totalvocalfreedom.com. And uh, yeah, and we got a lot of resources. We've got a blog that has some great stuff. I love that you're doing a podcast. It's a medium that we want to explore eventually. And we do, like I said, online courses and live events, programs throughout the year. Right. And the, the online courses are so cool because Alexander Technique can be expensive. There are a lot of people who really can't afford it, but really, really need it. That's what I try to do too, like this. Give people real information that's actionable, that is something that they can afford. And the online courses that you give are, are very, very affordable if people really want to take this. So. Anyway, thank you, Peter. It's been such a joy to have you on All Things Vocal. Thank you, Judy. This has been my pleasure. And may I offer a few parting words for your yes, listeners? Please, please. That would be awesome. I just encourage you all just to come back to the beauty and brilliance of how you're made. 
that we are all made so beautifully and so perfectly. And if you can really appreciate that and know that everything in your system, your body, your mind, your voice is working for you, not against you, even though it doesn't often seem like that, that you can really see the kindness. And that's what I would encourage you to be to yourself is to be kind. And the system responds to kindness because it's made of kindness. So thank you all so much for listening. And thank you, Judy. Thank you, Peter. This is Judy Rodman. Thanks for joining me today on my interview with Peter Jacobson. I hope you found it interesting. And if you did, please leave me a review where you heard it. You can always find me at judyrodman.com. See you next time for All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers.